Hello and welcome to another episode of Vagabond Actors, where we discuss all things acting, the craft, the process, the business, and every little thing in between. My name is Gary Condes, and I'm talking to you from London, and I'm joined as always by my fellow actors, my fellow acting teachers, and fellow coaches. They are Brian Casp, who is based in Prague, the Czech Republic. Hello, Brian. How are you doing? Hey, Gary, how are you doing? Yeah, pretty good. You know, muscling on through into February through this bleak midwinter, but keeping busy and happy to be here chatting with you guys. Yes, it's good to be here. It's good to talk. It's good to talk. (laughs) We also have, as you can hear, Andrea Helen chomping at the bit over there in Mallorca, Spain. Hello, Andrea. Hello. It's not so midwintery here right now, but I do understand this January thing that no matter what the temperature, it seems like it's a very unique time. Right. Well, you're in Southern Europe, whereas Brian and myself are in Northern stroke Central Europe. So the weather's different. It's very gray. I'm sorry. That's okay. We're going to come next year. Yes, you are. We're going to base our headquarters there, in fact. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, we've got a very interesting episode this week, and we're going to tackle the subject of student actor pushback. What does that mean? It's what happens and how one deals with a student in class who pushes back against a teacher's feedback, direction, maybe a suggestion, or just general endeavors or specific endeavors to open them up as an instrument. And I'm sure you guys will agree, for teachers, it can be a very tricky and challenging part of dealing with an actor's fear, perhaps, or their baggage. It's a real tightrope to walk and to have to deal with such difficult behavior or deep defensiveness when it arises. That's what we're going to get stuck into. But before we do, we're going to have a quick check-in with each other and catch up with what we've been up to since we last spoke, work-wise, creatively, all of that stuff. So who would like to kick off? Well, the big job that I had this past week was that I was working on a series of videos that the aim is for them to help executives to incorporate storytelling into their business presentations and business communication. And I came onto the project quite late. And so I was mostly just helping the people who originated the project with their English and to kind of go through the texts and edit them a little bit, make them a little bit easier to say. And then I offered my services as someone who could also be in front of the camera. And so this past weekend, we spent recording these videos about the various aspects of of how you can incorporate storytelling into your presentations and why that's a good idea. It was the first time that I really had worked with a teleprompter Basically, it was just reading it with a lot of energy and trying to give it into the lens. So it was an interesting, interesting project, I think. Cool. It's hard to know actually how to go slow enough. The tendency that I have is to go quite quickly through it. And they kept saying, you got to slow down. This, these are not native speakers and you don't want to rush it. So I think that it's interesting to feel like your tendencies when you're doing that is to rush through instead of to luxuriate in it and really paint the picture. It's interesting, isn't it? Because performing brings with itself a feel, whether it's on screen or on stage or doing what you're just describing, a, a different time frame 
time kind of moves differently yeah. in a different way, doesn't it? Don't you think on stage? Absolutely. It's hard to describe, but I remember in my early days, I was very much reminded of like, you know, time is very different on the stage. Yeah. It's not about speeding up, but it's not about slowing down. There's just varying degrees of it. And if you do one of either too much, it really does feel like you are really speeding up or really slowing down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wading through mud. Well, it was also very interesting because part of my job when I was watching the other guys was to look out for their English intonation and their pronunciation. And one of the tips that I was telling them was when they were starting to stumble over some of their words or the pronunciation of some of the words, I said, you got to slow down. If you're stumbling over it, you have to slow down. And they felt the same way, like they were going so slowly already. <laughs> But if you're stumbling over it, then you got to slow down. And and the other part was that there's a screen tempo where if something happens on the screen, you need to let the person who's watching notice the thing that happened before you respond to it. Mm-hmm. For instance, in one of the videos, one of the little bits that we had was they were comparing apples to oranges and they had people on either side holding apples and oranges that kind of flew in and they came in and he looked at it right away and then he kind of dealt with it. And I said, you got to have beats in between so that we as the viewer can Mm -hmm. take in, oh, that's an apple and that's an orange. And Mm -hmm. now you have a thought about dealing with it. And so Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right, Gary, that time is quite different. Mm -hmm. You really need to allow things to happen. Yeah. There's a musical quality to it, isn't there? Yeah. Some people have that very intuitively and some people really need to learn it. And it's not always easy to convey. I think it's one of those things, the more you do it, the more you start to understand it and you can give over to it. If somebody doesn't naturally have that sense, I think it's not super easy to bring that to them, except to point out when it works. I think I learned a lot by watching self-tapes that Mm -hmm. I've done. So you just get it by watching yourself, right? not just the finished ones, but the takes where you do something and then you watch it back and you go, oh gosh, that didn't sell at all. I got to do this differently. (laughs) And I think that that tends to build up a habit of you understanding how to sell a particular moment on camera. Yeah. Interesting. Just by watching it. Cool. Yeah, that's what I was doing this weekend. So, Andrea, how about you? How was your relationship to time this week in Spain? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I will share that my relationship to time is a major theme in my life. And the screenplay that I have started over many years... Like the one screenplay that I think I really need to write in my life has very much to do with time as a concept. So let's see how I've been spending the time that I do have here. Well, I've been doing more teaching, which has been a lot of fun. I had the great pleasure to sit in and observe one of Brian's classes in Prague. And of course, he's fantastic. Aww. Yeah. It's so nice to see the relationships that you've developed with the students and you know, where their curiosity lies and the skills that they are eagerly trying to gather. So no, I thought it was really a lot of fun. I realized after that I don't think I introduced you to them. <laughs> that, that happens so to me. Sudden, you know, I'm six feet tall, but maybe in the land of Zoom now, people don't know that I'm six feet tall because normally when I walk in a room, like you sort of have to deal with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> but No, I think because I, I took it as an Oh, of course, Andrea's just going <laughs> to pop in. And I, I can't remember if I said, oh, by the way, this is Andrea. And she's, you know, she was my teacher in LA. And 
and she's going to just pop in and give some feedback and not, don't be afraid. But I think <laughs> the look on some of their faces when you came in, and I mean, you obviously were very considerate of, I invited you to give feedback and all that, but like, I might have freaked them out. So I said something uh, on, <laughs> I said something on the subsequent class, like this was, that's who that was. Uh, so yeah, well, that was pretty funny. The same thing happened to me. Another day in this past week when I was teaching a class with the Zamboni School, and for the first time, some of their master students, some of their final year students were sitting in, and I only had them for half an hour. So my intention was to work them as much as possible in that half an hour. So I kind of got right to it as it was handed over to me and was like, okay, who's got activities? And they were all like, um... And then finally, one of them said, you know, we didn't know what was going to be happening. We don't really know what's happening right now. <laughs> so I said, oh, okay, cool. Here's who I am. Here's what I'd like to do. Here's why I'm here with you. And so this is what we're going to work on. You've got any questions? And boy, did they have questions. So that's kind of fun. But no, I've really been enjoying the teaching and the Zoom teaching. And we're finding some ways to focus on the benefits of the online environment and to embrace that. What are some of the benefits that you're finding? We are using the Zoom format, which allows you to take different kinds of views of everybody else in the group, right? So when I'm watching two students I put it on what they call speaker view, where I can see them back and forth. And they're the main line of sight that I have. And I can see a few of the other students, but mostly that's where my focus is going. And we encourage the students when they are working to pin the acting partner. So that's all they can see. Then they aren't distracted by my presence or any other student's presence. And I find that there are some students who I imagine on stage maybe have some of the more private energy. But in the Zoom format, like in a great close-up, we are able to see so much more about what's really going on with them. And I think that's super interesting. And so there are some students who are finding that they are more comfortable in this format than they are on stage, that there's a confidence that they have in this setup that it still feels intimate, but in a way they feel kind of protected. And also this sense of being in their own home spaces as related to, you know, when you're doing a Meisner class, for example, and the idea is that you are in your own apartment. When you're on stage, you're in your own apartment or you're coming over to your friend's apartment. They share that that was challenging for them to create sometimes as an imaginary circumstance. And so now that they actually are in their apartments, for some of them, that's a help. I suspect that for some, that's a hindrance, you know, that they don't have the same degree of freedom at home as they did on stage. But we're trying to focus on the positive aspects of the learning situation right now. And that's the main thing is that, number one, we can really see more intimately what's going on with people because of the nature of the close-up. Hmm. And number two, many of them feel more comfortable because they are in a personal environment. And so making their work personal isn't a struggle. I keep wanting to get my students to actually get up and actually physically use the space. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you find that yep. too. And Gary, you too, that you're kind of sitting, looking at your screen and interacting with the camera kind of in a close-up. And I keep wanting to go, hey guys, get up, walk around. 
Yeah. For the purposes of a door and activity, which we do in the Meisner work, I tell the activity students, you know, don't think about the camera, be in your space, get your activity done. Mm-hmm. And the quote unquote door person is doing a video call, like come make the call, walk, literally walk away from your laptop or your phone right now, take a moment and then come and make the call, be there for yeah. a reason and make the call and then understand that this is the format that you're connecting with, but you know, who knows how much space you need to get the activity truly done and live it out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's so good. embrace the, embrace the limitations of it. If you can't see what they're doing, you're frustrated by that, or it makes you extra curious or whatever, express that. That's the truth of it. So to really like take that in as an additional level of your imaginary circumstances. Yeah. Well, if you're talking about Meisner improvisation, it's no different to having someone on the other side of the door you don't see yet. That's and you're right. still and you're still conducting a repetition through that. Yes. Sometimes we're forced to do that in order to force our hearing and listening, you yeah. know. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Not necessarily myself doing those kind of exercises uh, on the courses that I do. I can see its benefit. And I think you need to be able to free yourself up. Mm-hmm. All is there to be experimented with. Mm-hmm. Let's say there's an impetus, and like there's a moment before that is necessary where there's an energy that you come in with. Then I tend to play around with that as well. Mm-hmm. The work you're talking about there is very improvisational and very freeing and as it should be, and it's great. So I think it lends itself so well to all of that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm like, actually, I go the opposite and go, no, you only have this box. So create all of that life mm-hmm. in this very still place as if you are in a mid close-up or extreme close-up yeah. and have all that going on. For the more advanced actors, that's an easier adaptation. Sure. When they're used to the technical demands of filming, that's an easier adjustment to make without losing, you know, the honesty and authenticity of the moment. But for those who are really sort of still building those skills of how to function well, I'm trying to encourage them to not worry about the frame. Yeah, that's absolutely necessary, I think, Mm. at that stage. Mm. What have you been up to, Gary? What have I been up to? Well, I've been reading a lot of plays this week on request because I've been asked by a client to find some material to do a project uh, as soon as the green light is given to any theater to open we are going to make submissions and and it probably looking in not this year but beginning of next year but we're just trying to get ahead of the game and and at least you know choose something so there's a couple of actors who i work with ed if you remember ed being yeah. one um, Ed Spillier. So we started to get our heads together and maybe start to talk about doing a play. So I've been reading a lot of two, three-handers, relationship-based small plays, and trying to get through as many as I can, because I've got a lot of work coming up. So I've just got this window. I'm kind of the first port of call. So I've got to streamline ideas down and then send it on to a couple of these um, clients of mine who can then have a look and say, yeah, you'll nail so I've been reading a lot of plays, a lot of American plays, Orphans by Lyle Kessler, Killer Joe yeah. by Let's, yeah. Hape by Stephen Belber, mm-hmm. you know. And Gary, where do you get them? If someone listening was like, oh, that sounds great. I'd like to be reading plays. Maybe it feels like a simple question or a simple answer, but like, where do you get them? Especially yeah. nowadays where, I don't know, Samuel French. No, it's closed. That's closed down now. Closed now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you get them online or is it Amazon or? Yeah. I mean, Amazon tend to be the most competitive or occasionally I go to Abe Books, which is an online secondhand store, mm-hmm. which is also very good. And occasionally they are cheaper by a few quid. So if, you know, 
know, if you're getting one player, it doesn't really bother me. I'd rather have it sooner than later because that takes a bit longer. There's pros and cons. But if you're getting a, a bunch of them and you can find them all on A books and they're secondhand, then it pays for itself. Another one is eBay have some really cheap plays as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't charge for shipping. So, you know, I'm getting them for two quid, three pounds. Amazon has obviously the biggest and widest and quickest and reasonably cheap. And you can also get them used. And I often get X library editions. Mm-hmm. They may have a stamp, but they're very well maintained. So Amazon, eBay or Abe books are my go-tos. Okay. Okay. So I have to tell you that right now, do you guys know what duck lips are? When little kids look at you like, please, yes. and the, lo- the lower lip turns down. That's what I'm doing right now because I'm craving my books that are all packed in storage in Los Angeles. Oh, you're killing me. Also, if money is tight, you might be able to go on Google and find a free PDF somewhere. You know, a lot of these you have to pay for. You you can still download them, but occasionally there is some kind of resource that is either paid for or they are out of copyright. Right. So I read a lot of plays, kind of speed read a lot of plays, staying up till sort of the early hours. But it just does remind me how great it is and how absorbing it is and how different a focus it is than reading fiction or nonfiction, basically. It's that really being on top of switching it about between characters, but also taking in the action and visualizing it. Great. Great. Here we go. Into the morass that is (laughs) pushback. This episode of the Vagabond Actors Podcast is brought to you by our friends at We Audition. Now look, we all know that auditioning in a pandemic sucks. You can't find the right partner, and if you do find the right partner, how are you going to connect with them in real time and have the read be seamless? Well, We Audition can help with that. They make it easy to find a partner and they take care of all of the technical stuff so that you can focus on what really matters your audition, and being awesome. Not only does We Audition allow you to find partners that can help you really kick ass, you can be a partner that helps other people really kick ass and get paid for it. There's other really great benefits to being a We Audition member. You can have one-on-ones with top casting directors, you can get career advice from industry professionals, and a lot more. Right now, We Audition is offering a discount on membership to Vagabond Actors listeners when you sign up with the promo code VAGABOND25. So just go to weaudition.com, click on sign up, then click on the link where it says promo code. Put Vagabond25 in the box and you'll get 25% off your membership. Now, back to the show. Thank you very much for those drums. So yeah, let's get on to our main topic of student actor pushback. I mean, we may even get into actor pushback on the job too, if you're a director or you are party to it. But I think we're going to, as teachers, have a lot of wealth of experience in the classroom. So I think we're going to concentrate for now on student pushback uh, in the classroom. There was a teacher that I had, I can't remember, Andre, it might have been in Playhouse West, Mm -hmm. who said at the beginning of every term, it's always good to throw a student out of class just so that everyone else stays in line. (laughs) Yeah, it could have been there. Just to make sure that everyone knows that they can't mess around with with the system. Oh, my God. Yeah. That sounds like old school fear tactics. But um, I think the world has changed so much. Mm -hmm. And I know I have experienced a definite change in the kind of dynamic and sensitivity and how hard one can be in a classroom depending on one's pushback. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, look, negative 
student response can be really destructive to morale, to one's classmates, to teamwork, to class productivity even. And at its worst, it can be toxic and it needs to be dealt with rather than brushed under the carpet. And it can be very, very challenging, as we know. And understanding when to intervene, how to manage the defensiveness or conflict, it can be very tricky. Can we define what we're talking about here? Because there are some forms of students... Um, it's not exactly pushback, but there's some forms of students who are struggling with a concept, which I wouldn't qualify as pushback. So I, maybe you can define like what we mean when we say pushback. Sure. Well, in my experience, there are kind of two types of pushback, if you like, or challenging situations that the teacher has to get into that is aside from getting on with the scene. And one is where an actor is almost drowning. They're not necessarily conscious of their responses and they're genuinely genuinely struggling with either being probed and questioned and opened up and it's almost like they're so frail and their psyche is 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 not necessarily adept at taking it that they kind of tailspin and as a result they're not quite in control of how they're behaving and how they're being and that may manifest in meltdown meaning breaking down into tears brain freezing where they literally incapacitated and unable to answer questions coming back at you in ways that they are totally not aware of which may be construed as defensive or divisive so that's one type and then there's another one which in my experience tend to be more combative right from the off Although I think there's a case to be said that all of this is deep and perhaps not quite completely in control, there is a definite other type that I've experienced which are more knowing in their combativeness and maybe (laughs) clever about it and hostile and definitely easier and more adept at standing their ground and pushing back, as the phrase says. One is willfully saying, I'm not going to do that thing that you told me to do. Disagree. Right, which is basically that. I disagree. You're wrong. (laughs) You're wrong. I don't see the benefit in it. That's the more aggressive version. And the other one might be uncontrolled, like you said, which I find I'm okay with that version. Yeah. Because then, like you said, as a teacher, it's your job to step in and kind of say, well, this is the baby step that you can take towards getting out of that, or let's deal with this particular fear. But if it's just a willful refusal, then that's that's what I find quite difficult to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good overview of the way that from our perspective, we receive the students that are a little bit more challenging Knowing that we were going to talk about this subject, I've been wanting to say, like, what are your biggest pet peeves? What have been this? What have been the most challenging situations you've faced with students resistant to the feedback? And keeping in mind, of course, that we are on the same page about this. But from a student's perspective, feedback and criticism sometimes feel like the same thing. And from our perspective, you know, feedback is given in an effort to explore something together where we see there's room for improvement and there's room for growth. And so feedback is given in the hopes of helping somebody grow. But sometimes there are personalities that perceive any kind of feedback as criticism. And then there's, mm-hmm. you know, just such a defensiveness that comes up about it. But can you give some examples of the most challenging scenarios that you've come up against? 
if you remember them or are, are they a memory that you put, put far away? <laughs> I don't know how specific I want to get, but like one of the challenging behaviors that a student can have, which I can completely understand from one side of it, is to want to discuss why you're giving a particular piece of direction. Like if you say, hey, when he does this, I want you to quack like a duck, let's say. Whatever. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't probably do that with a student, but I, I have said, hey, make a weird noise or make the noise of what you're feeling right now, mm-hmm. right? Which might feel to a certain student like the same kind of thing. And they might want to discuss, well, why should I do that? What is that? You know, what? why are you having me do that? And that can be, there's a certain amount of discussion that I'm willing to engage in because- you know, I don't know if anyone noticed, but I do like to talk and uh, <laughs> and I like to explain myself and I, I get off on the logic of why this particular thing might work. But at the end of the day, the explanations don't actually help anyone. It's the doing of it that helps people, I think. So that particular type of pushback where they want to explain it or talk it out is if it goes on too long and it kind of pulls you away from the flow of the lesson, then that's not helpful. And the other experience that I've had was like, I would say, hey, you need to do this exercise in this way and talking specifically about the Meisner repetition exercise. And a student might say, well, no, I don't want to do that that way. Or I want to do it my way. And dealing with that, I think you start with like, well, okay, we can try that and see how that works. And then we can try it my way and then see how that works. And then you move into, well, you just need to do it because I'm, I mean, you kind of move into role power to a certain extent. And then I've had students where I've said, well, listen, you know, this is the feedback that I have for you. If you don't want to take it, that's fine, but this is what I have to say. And you are in my class for the most part willingly. And so maybe I'm not the right teacher for you if the feedback that I have for you is not something that you want to hear. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think ultimately it ends up being that. And we kind of hit on it from the other end in the bad teachers episode that we we (laughs) talked about, you know, where you kind of have to find the teacher where what they say grooves with what you, Mm -hmm. how you feel it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always work that way because I think part of our job as teachers and guides in this wild endeavor is to push and control and encourage people to move into areas where they aren't comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want a teacher who's going to be just making you comfortable all the time. Mm -hmm. You want someone who's going to push you, but you got to be ready to be pushed. And so I think those are the kinds of pushback that I've encountered more recently. Mm -hmm. And the flat out refusal, I just, I'm like, well, what's, what's the point then? Mm -hmm. And when I'm in a class where it's my class, where I'm not working for someone else teaching a class, then I will fairly quickly kind of go, well, I don't, I don't have any other feedback to give you. You know, maybe this is not the class for you. And if I'm working for someone else, like at the Prague Film School, I can't really kick students out of my class because it's part of a curriculum that they need to be in. I will just stop giving them feedback. Hmm. Because if they're going to argue with me about this particular piece of feedback, why I'm wrong, I'll go, okay, let's move on. Let's move on to a different pair because it's not worth it to me to argue with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your time is done. Exactly. Mm. I gave you the feedback. If you don't want to take it, fine. It's very interesting. I mean, he's going actually out of the classroom just, but it reminded me that I've working with a client doing a play in a major London theatre before lockdown and um, they were performing and everyone was having trouble with one member of the cast. And even in 
And this shows some kind of just, there's a chip missing because he was doing it even with the director. So the director was giving them notes, a well-known director in a big theatre, and they were they were just pushing back going, yeah, but, and offering alternatives to the notes rather than just writing down the notes and going, how am I going to implement that? Which is what you would normally do. Maybe clarify, have a chat to clarify. Anyway, he would push back, maybe disagree, not take it, offer excuses for why he didn't do it in the first place and all of this. And in the end, the director stopped giving him notes. Mm-hmm. Because just like you're saying, Brian, it's the same thing in class. It's like, well, there's only so much you can do. I mean, you lose out. Mm. Yeah. You know, this actor was then going, why am I not getting notes? Yeah. so there is an insanity somewhere Mm -hmm. that has to be drawn a line under and just like go well you know work it out for yourself Mm -hmm. yeah you know i'm the first one to try to teach with empathy and so if i see that somebody really is struggling with something and they're trying in their own way to get it but it's not making sense somehow i will Mm -hmm. always make effort to try and be clear and to try and support It's the times when I see that a student is so resistant that they become a negative force in the classroom. That's when I get peeved, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. just pushing back to me. I feel like I can deal with that. And sometimes it's a, it's a mind game and they, they're testing me in my case. It's rarely been an actress. It's, it's almost always been an actor who wants to test in some way, whether it's my authority or my ideas about something. And, you know, depending on the scenario, it's happened in the classroom, but also in two productions that I was involved in as the director, where in one case, an actor who has been very successful was very resistant to direction because he had his own strong ideas about how things should be. So there was often a dialogue about it. And then I had to decide when to just say, you know, do what works for you. And then I had to sort of adjust around it and then put my focus on the actors who really wanted to work with me and get it and figure it out. So then we had a new, you know, we had something new from him that we were working off of, so to speak. And we were all in adjustment to what we were getting because that was the truth of it. In classroom settings, you know, it's tended to be actors who either brought an arrogance to it that they somehow knew better or really underneath was a great deal of fear about giving over to it, or they couldn't really give over to the idea of living out imaginary circumstances. There was always a level of judgment that I felt that they carried, like an external presence of judging what they were doing and what their partners were doing, which meant they were never truly in the exercise or the scene. And so they were not only judging themselves and their partners, they were judging me and the whole setting. And that's a really tricky piece. Um, And I've had a couple of actors like that. Mm -hmm. They tended to be a little bit older, but I've seen it in young ones too. It's like they really, really want to be there and they're really compelled to the work, but at the same time, they can't close the loop. And so they're in distress about it, but it comes out as an argumentative approach to everything and a harshness with their colleagues. It's a fine line because you've got to get involved, but you got to do it in a way that is not going to fan the flames if you can, which mm-hmm. is, that's the challenge. And I remember when I first started out, I taught like an actor. So therefore I get involved. Mm-hmm. Now I teach like a teacher and a coach and I have more at my disposal to disarm the bomb. 
or at least it's not happening as much. So something's changed. Either the mm-hmm. people are getting or I've changed, one or the other, or both. Um, but it's tricky because you don't want to let them off the hook because that's not learning anything. Mm-hmm. But it's when things get in the way of even learning anything. And one has to speak the truth kindly rather than be kind about the truth. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, nothing is gained from it. Like you were talking about earlier, Brian, I always flag up. I go, do you realize right now what you're doing is you're defending your right to do it your way, mm-hmm. which is absolutely fine, but why do that here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you don't need to be taught to do it your way. You're already doing that. <laughs> right. You know, you're here to learn something new. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. There has to be a, some kind of footing early on where you are calling the game and mirroring back and going, do you realize what's happening here? And, and trying to get them to talk. And even if they aren't inflamed, talk it out if one can take it and if it's not too volatile or too disruptive. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's almost like get them to run out of steam. And I find that being a listener, which I wasn't so much when I first started out teaching, I was kind of met fire with fire, which often worked. It also plays into that ego thing, right? Mm-hmm. So if it is a contest of wills, then you rising to that and fighting fire with fire, like maybe you would be stronger than they would and it's like a fire break extinguishing them. But I've found that the people that want to operate in that place, they're pushing you into that place because that's where they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know? Yeah. And so going there, you know, like you said, it may work, but oftentimes they're fighting on ground that they want to fight on. Yeah. Right. But then, then it does come a point where if it's not working, I found that sometimes then you just got to be the patriarchy and go, hold on a minute. Mm-hmm. enough if you get a sense of it. I mean, I'll give you a little story about the worst one I've had or one of the worst. Yes, please. <laughs> you know, I've had a few and I'm sure that we all have. And, you know, you're genuinely pushing them because you feel they need it. And that's where the teacher has got to be brave and make a judgment call, but still push them for growth purposes. But you can't legislate for people's own lives and what they have been through or going through. And I had a student who came to two courses, short intensive courses, two weeks at a time. The first course in one year, he was lazy, didn't really learn his lines, didn't really meet up with the scene partner, but did enough to get through. And I had a word and he was all right. (laughs) I had a word. (laughs) Yeah, just sort of like, you know, this isn't going to wash it in the profession and I'm just flagging this up. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he would keep himself to himself during lunch breaks, not chat to anyone. So I kind of had him in my crosshairs. I'm going, okay, and pushing him. But then knowing that, still complimenting him when things were going well, or he did something that was pretty good or took something on in growth. He did take certain things on, which were good. And then even sometimes knowing that he was difficult, not necessarily difficult for me at that stage, but difficult for the scene partner and all the rest of it, being late, not learning lines and all of that disciplinarian stuff. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I would kind of go out of the way to encourage him a bit because I felt he needed it, right? Not lie, not make something up, but kind of go, you know what, that's the beginnings of something there. You did that little thing really well. So if you build on that, you know, so that was my first encounter with him. There was nothing in it that really was alarm bells to not allow him to come back, (laughs) he says with hindsight. But (laughs) um, 
the thing that it was, and this is where sometimes you can't tell, is he emailed me saying, I see you're doing another course. I'd love to come. I learned so much from the other one, even though he wouldn't have guessed it from his behavior. So, and, and I was like, wow, a year's gone by. I do my annual summer tour of Europe and I went back and he was really keen. And he, I thought, mate, he's grown up a bit and he's no longer a, a man child and, and all the rest of it. <laughs> the same things were there. <laughs> and this time he was late every class. I'm there for seven days, late every class. And I say to him in a firm but cordial way, all of that usual stuff about being late. And it's going to, you know, if you're going to do it here with class, how's it going to happen in the profession? You're going to get sacked and come on, you've got to pull your socks up. And then the lines. And also he wouldn't meet with his partner, who was a lovely giving girl. And so I was like, okay, well, he hasn't kicked off famous last words. So I've got to have words with him about the discipline. I did again. Now, After about four days, I just got tired. He used to come late. It meant that I had to go all the way up from this basement studio to the door and open. And I'd kind of raise my eyebrows because I've said what I needed to say. So there was no greeting or anything like that, right? Open the door, let him in, cold shoulder, got on with the class. Last day, the same. I opened the door, cold shoulder, nothing. I could sense that something was wrong and something was bubbling. He was first up. His scene partner was already on stage set up, sat down. He sat at the back of the studio. So, you know, 15, 20 rows behind. And I'm like, you're on. Remember, you're first up. Uh, I'm not doing it. You can't even say hello to me. Excuse me? Um, You can't even say hello to me. What kind of teacher are you? And I'm like, okay, this seems to be about something else. Why don't you come down on stage, sit next to your partner, and we'll talk about it? No, I'm not doing it. I'm not going up there. Not until you say hello, good morning. I'm like, okay, what is the problem? So I started to ask him questions and get him to talk, but I was just getting negative feedback. And obviously he had a chip on his shoulder that I hadn't said hello, but it wasn't really about that. I mean, come on. He would have found something. Exactly. And, you know, if you look at it deep down, he had a chip on his shoulder because he's just failing. He was a classic sabotage victim Mm. and he just needed an outlet to vent that and make it someone else's fault. So I'm going, please, why don't you just come and sit on the stage next to your partner and let's get to the bottom of this because you're very unhappy. I'm not unhappy. I'm like, okay, all right. So there's that. Very defensive, very attacking, very deflective. And he started to go on this big rant about not being cordial, not giving him enough attention and started to just attack me. So By this point, I'm kind of going, I know that this is not about me. Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking, I can't let him work now because the poor girl is not going to be able. She was white in the face. So I started to get hard with him and I started to call him out and I started to tell him what he was doing. And I started to list it. And as I did that, he started to cry because there was some truth to what was going on. So I gave him a very brutal assessment of what I think is going on with him, how it is manifesting, and how it is really being negative to his well-being as a human and as an actor. And then he just exploded. I made sure that I kept distance from him. And he went for me. And I went, no, you just stay right there. And you tell me how you feel. And he did. And then, and this is what actually where I couldn't hold myself back anymore. He then turned on the rest of the class and very aggressively started having a go at them. Mm. 
you think you're all this and I'm not closed down. And I, you know, I mean, it was, it was, wow. it was insane. And really attacking and going up to people in their faces and telling them oh. at this point, I was like, okay. So I grabbed him and I pushed him towards the door. I'm going, you have to leave right now before I call the police. He went off and I locked the door and we carried on with class. And I did the scene. I was reading the scene because I still wanted the girl to work. So I was all worked up. So no preparation necessary. So, <laughs> so I did this fallout scene with her and I was reading from the play and uh, it felt really good, actually. Um, <laughs> I bet. And she was great. You know, we were in tears by the end of it. Anyway, so that was quite an extreme. Wow. But you see... Going back to what we talked about earlier in terms of these two different kind of ways, mm-hmm. that was just a huge chip on his shoulder mm-hmm. and the relationship that he, in his vivid imagination, if only he deployed it in his in his acting, turned it around and created some kind of drama. Wow. What do you guys think about that? I have a question for you. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's hypothetical because what happened happened, but he came in late the whole week. Yep. Do you think that in that talk of saying, hey, you got to come on time, that giving him an ultimatum, like, I'm not going to let you in late tomorrow, that that would have changed things yeah. in terms of the what would happen if you said, look, I'm not going to play the game where you get to come in late and I get to let you in? Would that have just shifted it somehow? Yeah, you know? no, I see what you mean, but that was played out. He's turned up late. There was day three and four. I was not letting him in. Yeah. And then we had lunch where the door opened. So he's missed his scene. Scene part doesn't get to work. So... You know, I I made it very clear, not just to him, but to everyone else. My policy is once the door's shut, you can't come in until the break, which is an hour and a half. So that was laid down. Yeah. And it's a tough one because you want to be strict. At the same time, you have someone paired up with someone else and that's you being, you not letting him in is not letting her do her thing. Yeah. And it's not like you have him for 10 weeks. Plus, it was the last day, so I'm not having that toxic energy ruining everyone else's. um, You know, he can turn on me, that's fine, but not on everybody else. I said to him, you have an opportunity. What is it that you want from me? Because you seem to be angry about not getting something from me. Do you want Mm. my friendship? Do you want me to engage you differently or more or in a different way or inquire about your acting work or, you know, deal with you on a different level? He's like, well, maybe that might be a start. And I'm like, well, then don't go off into the corner of a room at lunch break and give the signals to everybody that you don't want to talk to them because you put your earphones on and listen to music. Do you realize you do that? Well, some people can come and talk to me. Yes, but I don't think they want to because that's the vibe you're giving off. Mm. I have to say, I mean, I think your story is, it's a pretty extreme example of behavior to take it that far on, on his behalf. And it's, I'm really sorry that you had to go through that. I've seen some poor behavior in the theater over the years. Absolutely. But I do think that sometimes this is not, uh, this is just an observation. I do think sometimes that when we do these shorter term workshops or sessions and people have not yet built up a sense of community with one another, that I've seen some more extreme examples where you can really see the person who has no intention of trying to get into the groove with the group. And in a way you can recognize outliers more quickly. And this was really an unfortunate circumstance that he came with so much expectation and then resentment. But I've observed a few people in workshop sessions 
where I think also there's so much expectation somehow. And it's almost impossible then for the teachers or whatever they're instructing to fully live up to that. Whereas in an ongoing session or a longer term session, they have to be able to count on each other. And your place is not necessarily guaranteed. And so there is something at stake and there are relationships being formed that will maybe help temper these kind of outbursts. Right. And the thing is, I think it's also less likely or at least less likely to grow and manifest in an institution like either drama school or a conservatory type place that you'll find in New York or LA or a studio that is an established studio with a name where those programs do exist. Mm -hmm. Not that it's common at all, but it's probably more common in independent type studio situations like you know us yeah they have this whole sort of etiquette of discipline and if you're late three times you're thrown out or you're late mm-hmm. five times these institutions have contracts if you like and yes. you can be thrown out if you seem to be toxic yes and no though because i have seen whole ah, this is harsh but like whole classes of actors in more of an institution kind of get disillusioned together or there's a few people who are become disillusioned and they slowly spread that bile to the rest of the class. Mm. And, and, and it's also in an institution that, you know, the people have paid a lot of money to go to that institution and the institution doesn't want to just throw people out willy nilly. It's actually, I found it's much easier in my own class to basically say, Hey man, like, obviously I'm not the right teacher for you. Why don't we just part ways and just like, good luck. I wish you well. And let's just go our own way rather than an institution where you're kind of committed for a year or three years or whatever it is. And you feel like, well, what am I going to do? You know, if it's not working or I'm not getting along with this teacher. Is that the same thing though? Because I think these institutions have audition processes where they get to vet. Yeah, I think you don't really know. And also, if you're going to an institution where you have three different acting teachers and one of them is you feel like is an idiot or doesn't know what he's talking about, then that can be really difficult, I think, from a student's perspective, you know? Like, so yes, you might want to be at the school. I was actually thinking about myself. You know, there's that wonderful guru that we all love and respect, Bernie. Um, And Bernie Hiller. Yeah, I'll name check him. I'm not, I'm not afraid. But, you know, I, I went to one of his classes and I didn't make a full commitment to it. But I was sitting there going, well, I don't want to, I don't buy this. I mean, this is not for me. Now, I wasn't pushing back actively against him, but I wasn't actively participating in what I felt was bullshit, you know? So, so that's a difference in myself. But I definitely feel like if I felt like I was being cheated out of the money that I had paid for the course and felt like I wanted to stand up and go, hey, this isn't right. I could definitely see why someone might stand up and go, hey, well, I don't, I don't get this and I don't see why this is important. I get what you're saying and it is a different thing. It's dissatisfaction that maybe grows into resentment. Yeah that they can at least then take to whoever's head or liaison officer and kind of go, I don't feel like I get my money's worth. And they have to deal with that. Well, I'm talking about crazies, which independents like myself, I mean, I have a vetting system now, which is on the phone, but it's less likely to have an audition process where you can maybe smell something. I have a question for you both. If you could now speak to some of those students who 
in rehearsals or in classes have been really challenging, difficult for you. If there's something that you wanted them to understand about the process or about your process that might help them now, let's just, let's just say that they're listening now going, will I ever get the benefit of their teaching? Really? Uh, what do you, what do they need to hear? Stay away from me. (laughs) (laughs) Stay the fuck away. (laughs) I would Um, say it more nicely than that. I mean, (laughs) I would say, and this is true, I think we talked about it when we talked about choosing an acting class. We talked about it when we talked about bad teachers. Like, you got to live your life. If you go into a class with a teacher that you aren't getting, don't stay in the class. Or try to have a productive discussion with the teacher and say, look, I'm really not getting this. I don't know. Is it me? Is it you? What's going on here? Because it's really just not productive to just say, I'm not doing that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if you have such little respect for whatever the teacher's leading people through to just say, I'm not going to do it because I know better or because like, I think you're right guys, that it's like, usually I'm scared to do it or I'm scared to let go enough to do it. And jump into this unknown thing that might be stupid or might lead to something deep that I've buried away, right? I mean, that's probably what's going on underneath someone who's refusing to do something. But if you just don't want to do it, okay, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I guess the other thing I would say is like, well, you don't have to do it. Just say, I I would rather not do that. And I would probably say, okay, um, let's find something else for you to do or another way to do it. But just don't be destructive about saying, I don't want to do it. Yeah, that's a step-by-step constructive process. But I think that decision has to be made. If it doesn't improve and the habitual behavior continues, then a move has to be made. If you don't want to do any of the stuff, then why are you paying the money to be in that class? That doesn't make any sense. And it's like, there are lots of classes and courses. People come to this one for these reasons that we're doing, and people go to those ones for those reasons that they're doing. It's like paying a doctor to go and tell you what's wrong, but you don't let them tell you what's wrong, and you tell them what's wrong with you, and that's it, and you don't want to hear anything else. Like, well, what's the point of going to a doctor? Mm. Certainly steps need to be taken, though, because it might be something that can be ironed out, like you say, quite rightly so. I had a, a girl who was in my class once who... Eventually, I had to talk to her and say, look, this is really not for you. You're finding it so difficult. You don't understand. You keep asking questions where it takes an hour to get to, which we've been over many times. And it's like, I think you need to just get some time on the stage on any old acting course. Don't worry about this heavy stuff that I'm doing here. You know, and I gave her lots of suggestions. You're not getting the right kind of work here and it might do you damage. And also you're holding everyone else back and it's just not quite right for you now. So go and get some beginner's work. And just get time on the stage. Okay, yeah, thanks for being honest and all the rest of it. It was actually left on a nice way. And I felt bad about it. But listen to this. A year later, I got a letter, an email saying, who the fuck are you to tell me that I can't do this work? How dare you throw me off your course? Right. A year later. And what I would say to her, if I had to meet, if I met her again, I'd go, what are you doing? If she said, well, I gave up acting, I would nod my head and go, oh, interesting. But on the inside, I would go, thank you very much. Knew it. (laughs) Knew it. I knew Uh, you would. 
Yeah. Or <laughs> without being too flippant. Or if she said, "Well, I'm I'm doing this now, and I'm doing that, and I'm doing that," I'm going. Well, that sounds like a great journey. Do you see by any chance now that the thing that happened between us was just one step in the journey that was necessary, perhaps, mm. and we had no malice behind it? Do you see my point of view? Mm-hmm. And actually, if you hadn't, you might not have got where you are now. Assuming that's a good place to be in. Yeah. I think for all, it's difficult for the students to see a teacher's point of view, exactly what you just said. I think it's very, very challenging for them to do that because it's such personal work mm. and, you know, you feel so judged one week you can be doing stupendous work and the next week you're just skidding along and in agony and you have to be very vulnerable to do it. And I don't think it's an easy thing for an actor to remove themselves from their own reality and to give over to um, the journey of the teacher. So I think it's up to us to be the ones to know from our own experience what the actor is experiencing and to use our best powers of observation and empathy to to try and reach them and coax them into a a healthy way of functioning and, and a place of learning. And sometimes you know, they just make it really, really difficult for us to do. But I give it my best shot with every with every student. But sometimes I think you're right. There comes a point where you may have to have a conversation that it's just not the right fit. And that's okay. Yeah. There may be yeah. somebody out there who's a better fit for you now. You know, it's better to deal with the difficult situation than avoiding it, mm-hmm. where it can grow into something and fester into something worse. Mm-hmm. Also, let's remember that, of course, we're talking about having to deal with things that arise that seem to be a bit of a jump from what we're critiquing or what we're doing. Of course, there are some acting teachers out there who, you know, you should run a mile from and aren't sensitive enough. We're not talking about that. That speaks for itself. And we kind of covered it, like you said, in a previous podcast. But it's when it seems to be any pushback seems to be unrelated or at least exaggerated out from where the connection is at the beginning of any critique. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that sometimes the students who are the toughest nuts to crack in terms of getting them to come around to what I'm trying to do in class, those are the ones that end up being the strongest cheerleaders. Mm. Then the students who come into the class really, oh my God, I've heard about this and I'm so excited and I really like, this is going to be amazing. Those are the students that end up actually dropping out. So there's something interesting about that that I've found. That's a very interesting point. And yeah, the bigger the dam, the more water there is behind it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even that they're really resisting, but once they, you know, it's kind of like, you know, someone who converts into a religion is much more active in that religion than someone who's born into it sometimes. (laughs) So yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah, that's a good one. It does happen. Mm -hmm. Anything else thinking about it from the listener's perspective? Because we're quite... I think for a lot of this one, we we're from our own perspective. So from a listener's perspective, what they would want to hear. Yeah, be nice to uh, us because we're trying to be really nice to you. And you can <laughs> believe how often we don't say everything that we think. You cannot believe how often we make our observations and think, okay, I see all these issues, but what are we going to take on today? Where is she in her work today? What does she need to hear? How vulnerable is she? How am I going to phrase this in a way that she can hear me? Like there's so much thought that goes into giving the feedback 
least it does for me. We're trying to be supportive. We want to see you succeed, just like casting directors. We want to see you make sense of it and grow and learn and be excited about the things that we're excited about. So, you know, we want you to be on the ride with us. But we're also going to we're going to push you where you need to be pushed so that you can grow. So just remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think clarity. I love questions because things get answered. People need to have these knots and confusions and dealing with stuff sort of sorted out. So communicate and be clear and be honest because that's what we're dealing with in the work. So as long as there is an open channel of communication, then it should be able to be worked out. And um, I won't bore you with the stalker that I got. (laughs) One. Oh my god! <laughs> That's for a private drink end of my different kind of pushback. Yeah, it is very much like a sports coach mm-hmm. who is going to try to push their team in order to get the best out of them. Yeah, and sometimes that's going to be a more antagonistic relationship, and sometimes that's going to be a more nurturing relationship. But it is always trying to get the best out. Mm-hmm. And in, I think in all three of our cases, it's always coming from a place of love. Yeah, even if it is more truthful than polite. Sometimes, you know, and we'll try and put it in the way that is the best way for that student to hear as far as we can. Even when we're dragging your ass out the classroom door. (laughs) Right, Gary? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You need to hear this right now. Get the fuck out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to our third section. Cool. What have you guys experienced this week that has inspired you or that you want to share with our listeners? Oh, I don't have anything new to offer, guys. I'm so sorry. I've been finishing things. I have finished Green Lights by Matthew McConaughey. Again, highly recommend listening to that on Audible. I finished Marie Forleo's book, Everything is Figure Audible. And I finished Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Really all three wonderful reads, very inspiring and great stories. So I highly recommend those. And yeah, I'm looking for my next great thing. I've dipped into a few other pieces of literature, but I haven't found anything that I feel compelled to share yet. What about something that inspired you when you first started out acting, a production or a performance or a film? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I do have some powers of foresight. I'll just say that. I saw Meryl Streep in the made-for-TV miniseries called Holocaust. And Uh she absolutely blew me away. And I turned to my father and I said, she's going to be a major star, dad. I wanted to just follow her around the world. I still, I still would be a lapdog at her feet any day. I think it's really beautiful performance. And so, you know, most people think of her starring roles when they think of her earlier work, but I would definitely recommend checking that out. And since we also recently celebrated Holocaust Remembrance Day, maybe it's a good time to, to look that up. I'm not sure where you can find it. But I'm sure it's out there somewhere and uh, really a very, very powerful work and storytelling. So I would recommend that. Cool. With that foresight, you should have been an agent. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Gary? Well, this week, I'm sure you guys have seen this. I can't remember whether we've mentioned it. I don't think we mentioned it on the podcast, but we might have mentioned it in passing. But um, I have had some amazing light relief on Shit's Creek. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, Catherine O'Hara is just fucking 
brilliant as a comedic <laughs> actor. You know, so Shit's Creek on Netflix, Catherine O'Hara's performance, they're all great, but hers in particular, she teams up with a longtime collaborator, Eugene Levy, and they used to do those sort of best in show and those improvised mockumentary sort of movies. They've created this brilliant series. Uh, it's 20 minutes long, so they're very quick, but they're so funny. And if you want a really rounded but lived-in and characterized comedy character, then you could do no worse than the character of Moira, played by Catherine O'Hara in Schitt's Creek. Absolutely. She's just outlandish because she plays an ex-actress. Yeah. Um, you know, I do a lot of drama, but, you know, you got to marvel at some of these comedic actors also who do the work just yeah. as much, just yeah. in a different way. Love, you know? I love her performance. I love the show. Yeah. Nice. So my wife and I take turns reading our kids' stories at night for, for bedtime. And we've done it since they were babies, and we're still doing it. There's My older son is 11 now. And we've gone through just so many books. And now what we do when we, when we read to them, both my wife in Czech and myself in English, is we try to find interesting books that will put them to sleep quickly. <laughs> when, when read yeah and so Effective. i read uh charles dickens great expectations Ooh. and now i am reading moby dick wow wow and they're into it my younger son falls asleep almost immediately which is you know fit to purpose mm -hmm. and my older son kind of gets tired and the words wash over him and then he kind of just drifts off so i'm now reading moby dick a few chapters at a time out loud to my kids so <laughs> yeah just get into some herman melville yeah i read it when i was young i think you know when i was like 8 or so i read a kids version yeah. of it I, I quite enjoyed it. It freaked me out a little bit, though. Yeah, it's there's some scary parts, mm -hmm. but the language is obtuse enough for them that they don't quite understand what's going on. Hmm. But it does wash over them, and I think they enjoy it, actually. But it's it's interesting. And I've never read it myself, so it's good. Great stuff. Cool. So now comes the place where I ask our listeners to send in questions and comments and to share the podcast with their friends. So we definitely encourage you guys to do that. We love hearing from you. You can write to us at Vagabond Actors on Twitter and on Instagram. We post there and on our Facebook page and let us know your experiences in class. Maybe you've been in class with someone who has been disruptive or who's been giving a lot of pushback. Maybe you yourself were going through a period of pushing back a little bit. Maybe you were in one of Gary's classes and you pushed back a little bit. Um, <laughs> that would be fun to hear from uh, this person in this foreign country who... Well, we all have ghosts. Exactly. Um, or maybe in one of my classes too. But definitely let us know. We'd love to hear from you guys. Or if you have other topics or challenges or triumphs that you've experienced in the last little while in your acting career or your journey as an actor. Definitely let us know. In the meantime, you can get in touch with us as individuals. I am at Brian Casp on Twitter and Instagram. And I also have a Facebook page. You can check in with what I've got there. Gary, what about you? Yeah, thanks. Um, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of the handles are at Gary Condes or Drop me an email. I'd love to hear from you via my contact page on my website, which is garycondes.com. Awesome. And Andrea, 
What about you? I am on Instagram at Andrea Helene 3 and on Twitter at Andrea underscore Helene. And she has been posting some lovely pictures of Mallorca in oh. almost bloom. Yeah. So, and the sunsets, ooh, oh, amazing sunsets. It's just been beautiful. Just check those out if you want to, uh, if you want to see some island sun. And in the meantime, from all of us here, we hope you stay safe. Hopefully you We'll get vaccinated soon. <laughs> we'll see how that all goes. All right, guys. We'll see you next week with another exciting episode of Vagabond Actors. Thanks, folks. Thank Take care. You. Thank you.